Hey, 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 closet busters and bold move makers. It is time once again for Life Uncloset. So I want you to gather around because it is time once again to kick down those closet doors of your life. We're here to escape our BS, explore our fears, and elevate our self-expression. I'm your host, Rick Clemens. I'm the bold move expert and that coming out guy who's going to take you to the party, the pulpit, the wake, and back to the party of living your life uncloset. So come on along with me and grab hold of yourself and get ready to step out, step up, and step into facing your fears, making your bold moves, and living life without apologies. Now let's get to the show. Now some of you are probably sitting there going, I'll never get out of this. I'm always going to be abused by somebody, or I'll never get out of my debt, or I may never even get to be the dream that I want to be because, oh my gosh, I battled my own form of obesity or being put down by others. And then suddenly you started thriving, but it still wasn't quite right. That thing you most wanted to be was just out of reach and you finally put your foot down. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today on Life Uncloseted. I'm your host, Rick Clemens, and I'm so excited to be bringing another story of somebody that has nothing to do with sexuality, has nothing to do with being LGBTQ, but has everything to do with stepping out and being authentically who you're meant to be in the world. And my guest today is somebody I've gotten to know over the last few months as he's worked with me in another program. And he just kind of stepped into his own after going through some pretty deep stuff in his life. And I just felt that Travis Daigle would be a great person to bring and share with you, my audience on how you step into your life and become unapologetically who you are knowing that life is a journey and you never stop coming out of your closets. So welcome to the show, Travis. I'm truly, truly honored to have you here, man, given that I've gotten to know you over the last few months and know some of your story. But I, even today, I probably will learn some stuff that I don't know. So thanks for being here, buddy. Man, Rick, it's an honor and a pleasure. It's always uh, uh, amazing uh, when people ask you to share something from your life. So I, I really do feel... Um, uh, privilege to get to share today. That's awesome, man. So you and I have something in common. You seem to have done a little bit better with this than I have, but we are both obese little boys. And <laughs> it's, it's such an interesting space to kind of come from because you deal with the teasing, you deal with the self-consciousness. I don't know about you, but then I kind of tried to like, okay, I'm the chubby guy. I was never like super obese, I don't think at that point, mm -hmm. but I was definitely the chubby kid. And so sometimes I had to be the class clown or I had to be the silly guy just to kind of get through. And I'm just curious as we start to walk through this journey of where you went, how did being that obese kid for you really like cause you to either be something you weren't or retreat completely and like, okay, just keep me away from things. I, I think just from a early from from early early age, I learned to to try to retract and try mm -hmm. to avoid as much as I could, um, avoid people, avoid and 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 certainly avoid confrontation. I am not the most um, uh, how would you say maybe extroverted uh, person in the world, so I certainly wasn't going to take a risk like trying to be the class clown or you know, trying to maybe use my words uh, as a way to defend myself. And so the easiest thing to do would be to try to avoid situations where I might come into confrontation with other people. 
Um, or yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, avoidance was my main tactic. So learning mm -hmm. to, to turn into myself and isolating myself was something, um, you know, it becomes a tool, right? Uh, that, that you use to avoid the, the pain of, you know, dealing with people's comments and dealing with the bullying and the teasing. So the, the bullying to me was, it was tough. I mean, I, I kind of got into high school and I kind of started to manage it fairly well. Cause I started like, okay, I'm going to hang with like, try to hang with the cool kids or like at least get the cool kids to be my peeps. And the more I leaned into that and by then I'd kind of slimmed down a little bit. I mean, I was still stocky, yeah. but it's so interesting now to look back at that time frame and go, I was just so hiding hiding myself not just i went not necessarily yes i was hiding my sexuality but there's so many other pieces of myself i was hiding because of that and i'm sure you felt that too that like gosh what you hid and then one day you woke up and of course you know the hundred pounds was just gone it just magically disappeared right, right? yeah yeah right right yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> because we just wave those magic wands and yeah, boom it's gone it right yeah. Yeah, yeah but as as um, even as you started to see that piece of your life you know you did kind of avoid some of the bullying you you lost 100 pounds and you went off to school but was that really all it took there had to be more than like okay let's just lose the weight and everything got great oh so for sure i mean like so for one like the weight loss thing was something that came so i had been i lost weight it, it was mainly the, the final semester of my senior year in high school. So that's like the spring semester, senior year in high school. I'm 17 years old and I'm over 300 pounds at this point. And, but the, the, the thing I try to articulate to people is that I had been trying to lose weight since I was 10 years old. Yep. And so there was a seven year process of trial and error in there. And what I've reflected upon the reason I, so much weight was able to come off so fast is you get to your senior year in high school and I was ahead on my credits in school. So I was going to half days at school, um, you know, a senior year. So everybody's focused on like, I got to go to college. What am I going to do with my life now? So nobody's focused on me anymore. Nobody's mm -hmm. thinking about me every day. And plus I'm only there for half a day anyway. Right. So suddenly my stress levels go way down and, uh, Suddenly, I'm able to do something that I hadn't been able to do for seven years. And I was able to stop eating sugar and, and stop eating fast food. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what like caused the weight to just come off magically. I mean, before, it was like I couldn't. And what I didn't realize that I was doing before is I was self-medicating with food. I was mm -hmm. dealing with the stress with the food. Well, now the stress was gone. So I didn't need that drug anymore, so to speak. Um, and so, yeah, I lose all this weight and I head off to college. And I did, you know, you're young. And so you don't realize that there is this thing called the residuals of trauma that you carry. And you just think that you can just kind of start life anew and everything will be fine. Um, I went to college in Houston, Texas. I had been in Birmingham, Alabama for high school. And so when I went off to college in Texas, I was, I was majoring in electrical engineering. And pretty quickly, I started to realize that I didn't have all this, the social skills maybe that other people had. Um, one of the big things that I had to confront was, you know, you're, you know, guys just hanging out in the dorm room, you know, you're, you're messing with each other, you're joking with each other. That's, that's what young guys do. 
And to me, joking and and that sort of thing was always teasing. It was always right. bullying. And I had made this promise after I lost all this weight and conquered this mountain and nobody was ever going to tease or bully me again. And so I would snap at people all the time when they were just, you know, doing what friends do, just poking fun mm-hmm. at you. Well, I'd never had friends before. So I didn't I didn't realize that that's what was going on. And so when I began to notice that, what I had to ask myself is, okay, Travis, do, do you want to remain a victim to what happened to you in childhood or do you want friends? Because mm-hmm. if you want friends, you're going to have to learn how to be a safe person to be a friend with. And when you're mm-hmm. snapping at people, you people don't feel safe with you. And so it doesn't matter that you have the right to be angry. Sure, like things happen to you, but you're going to have to figure out a way to to dispel with that energy so you can form relationships. And that was that was probably one of of many lessons that I learned about relationships in college. Um, and there was a lot of apologizing and a lot of, uh, you know, I'd say at a fairly young age, reflecting upon my behavior and what I wanted mm-hmm. to become and, and, and kind of what had happened to me as a kid. Yeah, but there's there's a lot that was there in the stress for you. I mean, you were in college, you were really taking a higher end path where electrical engineering, not everybody goes, oh, I'm going to be an electrical engineer. You know, it's not like it's like, oh, sure, this is like the easy way through college, right? And on top of it, I, I believe there were some pressures like you were the first generation college student in your family, correct? Right. Yep. Yep. So um, suddenly all these pressures that we have. And then on top of that, and I can totally relate when you said, oh yeah, I find myself snapping at everybody. Now my snapping at everybody was coming from some of my own social conditioning. Cause I, I, I grew up in a house that was rather abusive, mm-hmm. but also that snapping was protecting myself from being hurt, you know, right. cause I was the chubby fat kid on top of that, everybody else had kind of figured out that I was gay before I did. And so that was my protection. It was my shield. Right. If I could snap back or, you know, protect myself that way until somebody finally said, can you just chill, man? Can you just chill out? I didn't even know what it meant to just chill out. Yeah. Because I had to protect myself. And I carried that forward in my life for many, many years. Right. And so as that started to prevail and I could see that, that's when I started seeing some light bulbs come off. And I know for you, there was kind of that similar thing. You worked so hard to like, okay, I'm going to get this engineering degree. And then you got out into the corporate world. And then what started to happen for you, man? For so long, and I talk to people about this all the time, like I had this story in my head about what success is and what a successful life is. And and it and it was a good job and a good degree and 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 yeah and you you went to good school you scholarships you did well in school so on and so forth and so I I started I I graduated in 2005 first like you said first generation college student uh, both my parents African Americans born in the Deep South in 1950 uh, both of them so. I mean, you can imagine how they felt about their son going, you know, off to college and getting this degree in electrical engineering. I started working for a Shell Oil Company there in Houston, Texas. So big international company. I'm making like 60 grand a year, fresh out of college with an undergrad degree. Um, 
I graduated with honors. And so, I mean, everybody was extremely proud. And I can remember, one, I can remember graduating and having this sense of just relief. It, it wasn't like, yay, I'm successful now. It was more like, God, thank you. Thank God that's over with, uh, you know, because, you know, school was, was tough. School was extremely difficult academically and otherwise. And so I was just relieved it was over. And then I started work. I graduated in May 2005. And then I started work in August of 2005. And I'll never forget walking up to the building in West Houston, walking up to the Shell building. And in the back of my, this is my first day of work, Rick. And I'm, I'm walking up to the building. And I'm saying to myself, I am going to be miserable. I am going to hate this. And, and I mean, and that's what happened. I mean, pretty, pretty quickly, I became very depressed. And the, the struggle that I had was, on the one hand, I've done everything that I was supposed to do from a societal standpoint, as best I can tell. You know, my parents always told me, you know, go to school, get a good job. I did it. Society, yep. American dream, go to college, get a good degree, get a good job. I did it. Um, and everybody, friends, family included, is looking at me like, man, he's successful. But I mm -hmm. feel terrible. I'm, yep. I'm going to the office every day and I'm working behind a computer and I just don't feel right. I don't feel like I'm in a good place at all. And um, eventually I, I ended up uh, I ended up getting so depressed that when I would I'd be driving my my new car that I got a car loan on, uh, I'd be driving it to work and I would start to imagine slipping the car under one of the 18 wheelers uh, that would be riding alongside of me um, headed to work in the morning. Um, and part of that imagination was if I got rid of the car, I would get rid of the debt associated with the car. Right. And then also maybe I would hurt an arm and then hurting an arm eventually turned into, well, maybe I should just drive off the overpass, you know, one morning or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. And after having those thoughts for about two weeks, I said to myself, you know what, man, like this just isn't worth it. I think I, I said to myself, Travis, like you did everything you could with this. Uh, you pursued it to its fullest. I went all the way after it. And I think what I know is that this isn't for me. Engineering isn't for me. And um, what I'd hoped for when I when I finally made the decision to leave engineering was some form of moral support and understanding based on kind of my mental state. Yep. Uh, but people were, were very um, frustrated, dismissive, felt like I was un being ungrateful, felt like I was being foolish, making the worst mistake of my life, leaving this good job. And this is when I kind of enter into this massive amount of turmoil um, into my, in my life where I'm really trying to decide you know, what is success for Travis? Why is it that I went down this road for so long, um, but ultimately it's not working out for me? And why can't everyone understand why I'm walking away from it? And it's such a big thing because there's here, here's the parallel to what you just explained is the parallel to coming out of the closet. Right. What are you going to do? You're going to go screw up your life. I, I can't tell you how many people said that to me, you were going to go screw up your life just because, and they, they would go really blatant just because you want to, you just, because you want some dick. That's it. I'm like, that isn't what it's about. <laughs> right, right. That's not it. Now, what's interesting right. is I'm listening to you. I'm going, 
it's as if I'm listening to my own story because there were moments where I'm like, and the moments like right before I came out to my wife that I was literally driving back from LAX headed to my house. I had just flown nonstop from London and I knew that I was doing this. I finally knew I was doing this. And as I'm driving, I'm literally every 18 wheeler that I'm passing. I'm like, this could be so easy. Just, just drive right underneath. Nobody will ever know. It wasn't just a typical accident. Nobody will ever have to find out all this stuff I've been hiding. But yet I'm like, no, this isn't what it's about. You, you don't have to be this miserable. But on the outside, that was always what I thought is like, people are going to think, what is he doing? He's got a great life. He's got a nice house. He's got the nice cars. He's got a killer job, blah, blah, blah. blah. And that's all it was. Exactly. But wasn't making me successful because I was miserable. Right. Absolutely, positively miserable. Right. But people looking from the outside in could never understand it. And that's exactly what you just shared. Nobody else could get it. No. They don't get it until it's them. Yeah. And that's the thing I've yeah. learned. Yeah. Until somebody else gets it, oh, I finally get it. This is what that feels like. You right. Know? Yeah. So as you started to see that becoming like your norm and rather than, I don't want to make light of this because I've, I've dealt with depression myself and, and I've done a lot of work around that. Mm-hmm. So there is no like brushstroke boom or there's no magic wand or anything. Right. But as you started to realize that, what began to percolate up for you that like, you know what, I got to go do this other thing? I think what, what the first thing that helps for me in my case, you know, everybody's different. And so I think one of the big things that helped me during this time where, because essentially what, 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 where I am, Rick, is I'm in between this rock and hard place. Because yep. on the one side, people are telling me I'm making the worst decision of my life if I leave engineering. Yep. On the other side, if I stay in engineering, I'm depressed and suicidal and I don't like where that's going either. And so I'm saying to myself, like, there's got to be a third option here. And so what I had to do is I had to pull back and kind of inventory my life. So I, of course I end up quitting and I'm like, okay, whatever. Like I, I, you know, I understand that you all love me, but you're not understanding this from my viewpoint. So I've got to kind of trust myself here. And part of what helped me trust myself was for one thing, Rick, like you said, like, I'm the one that got the engineering degree. Like Mm -hmm. if everybody wants an engineering degree, you can go and spend, you know, the five years killing yourself like I did. And when you do that, you can walk down that road. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I said to myself was, man, I know what success feels like. Success feels like when I had lost a hundred pounds and I would finish my workouts and I would, you know, kind of be, teary-eyed because I had I, been struggling to make this transformation and I'd be saying to myself man if I could figure out a way to give this feeling to other people I would like so I knew what success felt like to me and I knew that engineering wasn't it now it's not that there's something wrong with engineering obviously but it just wasn't for me and so part of what I had been playing with um, in college was I was you know, naturally, I was interested in strength and conditioning. I was interested in exercise. I mean, I had gone through this massive physical transformation myself. So I had a kind of this natural interest in like, maybe I can help other people do this. Maybe I should start a gym one day. Maybe I should be a personal trainer. But mm-hmm. that didn't fit the, the, the broader success narrative that, the, you know, the plan that I was following of, you know, 
career, good job, corporate America, so on and so forth. And once I had, once I left engineering and was able to kind of push through that cloud of depression, because I mean, the, the instant that I didn't have to go to that office anymore, I mean, my mood just suddenly went to another place. Like just immediately I was happier. Eventually I had to give up my car for repossession. Um, you know, I went through a big breakup with a woman I was engaged to at the time. And there was just like all this turmoil with relationships and it was, it was chaotic, but at the same time, it was so freeing because the, for the first time in my life, and this is what's interesting. This is what I think is really interesting, Greg, is up until that point, I didn't know that I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I didn't like, life was always miserable. Like misery was my baseline. Like I didn't know, I didn't know that, that I could see that other people were happy. And, but I just didn't know that I wasn't happy. I, I, it's hard to explain. It's kind of like if you are a fish and you're born in the water, you kind of don't, maybe you don't realize you're in the water, so to speak. Um, It was just, stress and and chaos and being depressed and being angry and being frustrated from a little kid all the way up to 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 leaving engineering it was it just was my baseline and for the first time in my life I felt like I wasn't making decisions to please somebody else or to 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 make somebody else uh leave me alone or or you know not bother me I was making decisions purely out of what I wanted to do. And I wanted to try personal training. And so I tried it for a little bit. And of course it didn't work out because you need, you need sort of a runway to get that off the ground financially. And so I sat down and I really asked myself what would matter to me most in a career and in this next phase of life. First, first off I was in debt yep. and I was getting calls from creditors. And so I was around, I was in around $60,000 of debt. And so I, I knew I needed to get some kind of paycheck going but I knew I didn't have to go back to corporate America in order to make that money. And so I asked myself, what did I need in this next phase of life? And I knew I needed both a physical and a mental challenge. I knew I couldn't sit at a desk. Um, I needed a job with some sense of purpose attached to it. And I needed to make enough money so I could begin knocking off my debts. Mm -hmm. And as I was thinking through this, I was literally, um, I was being evicted from my apartment in Houston for failure to pay the rent. And the lights had been turned off because I hadn't paid the electricity bill either. And so I would go personal train during the day at the local 24 hour fitness. And then I'd come home in the evening and all I had to do was sit there and think about what I was going to do next. And it sounds at the time, it felt a little bit like, man, I've hit the bottom of the barrel, but I always tell people it was a great time because all I could do was focus. Like, I couldn't get on the phone. I couldn't get on the radio. I couldn't, I didn't have people calling me, telling me how dumb of a mistake I had made. It was just me and my thoughts and the ability to say, what do you want, Travis? And so I ended up thinking about the military and it was 2007 at the time. And we were in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I thought being a military medic might be a good role for me. It would give me some purpose, physically and mentally challenging job and an income. Let's go check it out. I go home to Birmingham. Uh, I go to the recruiter's office, talk to the recruiter, tell him I want to be a medic. They're like, hey, have you ever thought about joining special forces? I didn't realize this was something that you could do off the street. It had never dawned on me before, 
because the other thing is, is I didn't know how to swim. So I, the reason I didn't go to the Navy or the Air Force is I didn't want to end up in the water. Right. And even in the Army, I knew that special forces soldiers needed to know how to swim. Well, the recruiters told me or the contract people told me that I would be taught how to swim in basic training. Um, and this, of course, ended up being a lie, but it got me to sign the contract and off I went to the military. Wow. But so much of what you just shared is about you giving yourself permission to choose to pursue you. Right. Even though, and, and I remember going through this same process in my own head because I went off to college. I wasn't the first in my family, so to speak, but in my, my, my family, it's just me and my brother. So yes, I was the first to go to college and my parents were like, and this is the college you're going to go to because this is, you need to go to this church college. I'm like, okay, fine. And I couldn't go to the one that I wanted to go to, but because they felt like if I went to the other one, I was going to go off the deep end and I was going to be the party boy and all this sort of stuff. I'm like, I've never said this to my parents, but hmm, maybe we should have had a different conversation and right. see where I would, how much sooner I probably would have, you know, literally come out of the closet at that point. But it was so interesting because that was the first step that I'm like, okay, I'm just going to continue doing what everybody else wants me to do. And I chose a major that wasn't really what I wanted, but it kind of got right. me there. And then when I finished college, as I finished the last two years, I was like, okay, well, I kind of got to go do what I wanted to do, but I still kind of kept it in the realm of what mom and dad expected me to do. And then I was already starting to pursue like, Hey, I wasn't interested in our church and other stuff, but I was always coming back a little bit. And then I go do this. And it was always that piece. And as I've sat back and looked back at that time, and I'm so glad I went through all of it. Kind of like, kind of like what you're, you've shared here, Travis. Yeah. Because if I hadn't gone through all that, I don't know that I would be where I am today. And not that I feel like I'm anywhere across the finish line even now. But I had to go through that so I could learn so much about me yeah. and about giving myself permission to do things. Yeah. So as you got into that world and suddenly, okay, that's not what they told me. I, I didn't learn to swim, but you kept moving it forward is what it sounds like. Right. And, and it's, it's interesting too, that you, you mentioned kind of having that where, where you're, I, you know, I call it battling other people may not call it battling, but you mentioned having that kind of that back and forth with, you know, you, you kind of do what your parents want you to do, but you, you're also got, it's kind of like you got one foot in one foot out. Like you're kind of, you know, you're teeter tottering and kind of experimenting and seeing kind of what your, 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 your place is. And, and I, I just thought that was interesting because when I left engineering initially, I circled back around and got another engineering job, maybe mm -hmm. like a, a like a month or so right after I quit the, the the first one that I'd gotten. And part of the reason that I ended up doing that is because I was trying to um, uh, I, I was trying to there's a whole like biblical reference where, where you like trying to please two masters. Yep. So I was yep. trying to please myself. I was trying to make myself feel good, but I was also trying to make friends, family, my parents. I wanted them to still be proud of me. And I, and I sort of craved that affirmation. And um, I remember going into the second job and it was the same thing as, as that first day at the first job. It was just like, man, 
And it, but this time it was much, it was much quicker. It was like, after about three weeks, I was like, Travis, why are you doing this to yourself, man? Like, you don't want to do this. This is not who you are. Move on to something else. And, and then of course, you know, so many months later, I found myself in the military and what was beautiful about, um, there was a few things that were poignant about going through, through special forces training is one, you know, of course, everybody's kind of concerned because up until this point, you know, I've been this electrical engineer, you right. know, this is a very different look from an electrical engineer you know, I'm going to go to combat. These are rough, aggressive people in my mind. I always say in my mind, I, I thought that, you know, it was going to be former division one athletes and, you know, uh, people who were, I don't know, long distance uh, competitors or something like that, that were going to be the, the people alongside me going through this training. So in my head, it was a big risk. I, I knew that it was highly likely that I would not pass, you know, all the phases of the training. And, but in my head, I also knew that from prior experiences, from you know, having this collapse with engineering from going through all the difficulty to lose weight, I knew that if I failed, I'd learn something about myself and that that was still valuable. So to me, it was kind of like a win-win. Like if you fail, you learn something about yourself. And if you win, man, you do something that you never thought you, you know, would have done. Um, and as I went through the training, what I began to realize is as, as the stress of the training um, increases and you've got, you know, these, these battle hardened green berets, you know, screaming and yelling at you, putting you under all kind of pressure and, you know, you're, you're sleep deprived and they're keeping you up all night. And, uh, you know, people are, you know, twisting ankles and, you know, knees and backs are getting beat up and, you know, there's right. tendonitis and stuff's getting torn and broken and so on and so forth. And what I began to realize is, the stress that I had dealt with as a kid growing up, the, the workouts that I used to put myself through trying to lose weight, the dealing with the bullying and the teasing, and even as an engineer, um, staying up all night, studying for exams, those things had prepared me mentally and had given me some mental tools that actually proved to be the most important components of going through special forces training. Like, you can be, you can have been a physical phenom, you know, in college or high school, whatever the case may be. But part of the point of the, of special operations training is it pushes everyone to their limits. And so you're going to get exhausted. You're going to get tired. And it's in that space where you have to figure out who you're going to be. And because I had spent so much time learning how to keep moving forward in stressful situations, learning how to focus when I was tired, learning how to, you know, uh, focus on my schoolwork when I've got somebody teasing me right in my ear, sitting right, right. behind me, that sort of thing. It, and it just, those skills just came to bear. It was like, I'd be going through training and, and especially in the initial, initial phase, I'd say to myself, wait a minute, man, like, this is familiar. Like, I understand how to do this. This isn't, this isn't unfamiliar to me. Like, Oh, they're yelling at me. Okay. What's the worst? I mean, I've been through that before. So, okay. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, I'm in right. pain. I've got to keep moving forward. Well, I mean, I had tendonitis in my knees all throughout my childhood years. I was always in pain growing up. And so it was just, it was sort of this beautiful revelation of like, wait a minute, 
like turns out. And the other thing that was cool about it, Rick, is that like I liked being physical. I liked being aggressive. When when they introduced us to hand to hand combat and and got I got into boxing and and jujitsu and mixed martial arts, like all these things that kind of were laying dormant under the surface. I got exposed to all these things. And so it was just, I mean, it ended up being just a perfect environment. And I, and, and during that five years, I paid off all the debt that I was in, so on and so forth. And ultimately I ended up graduating in the top 20% of my class at Green Berets, you know, before going off to combat. And I'd ultimately get out of the service, I'd be out of debt. And it was just, it was this transformation sort of, of my narrative about myself. Before it was, you know, Travis is this very academic, very studious person who kind of toes the line and does what people expect of him. He's very responsible, so on and so forth. And it's not that I lost some of those good qualities, but I began to realize that, no, wait a minute, like I've got these other characteristics and I can assert them in the world and I can assert who I am in the world. And people are just going to have to accept that I'm, I'm not what they thought I was. And if they can't accept it, so be it. It, wasn't, it, it was much less about people's affirmation and more about self-respect at that point when I left the military. But one of those things that I learned was that self-respect thing too. If I didn't respect myself enough to go do and be who I'm meant to be in the world, I was actually doing myself more damage. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the overriding theme to really this entire podcast, not just what you and I are talking about tonight, but it's, it's really about that when you live your life uncloseted, it's a step towards respecting yourself right. and you truly unapologetically be yourself. Now that doesn't mean go out and be an asshole in the world, but it just means like if we're hiding who we are and we're living for other people's expectations. Not that some of that's not good at times, but if that's the complete sacrifice and we're not showing up fully in the world, we are showing ourselves the most disrespect. Right. Because yeah. we're never really living. We're really not being who we're meant to be in the world. And I know having worked with you in the speaking side of your life over the last few months and watching you start to bring that to life and everything else, that it's just another layer of you respecting yourself and saying, this is something that's really important to me. And it's important that I allow myself to go show up in the world this way. Right. So here's a question that I kind of think I know the answer to, but I'd love to hear it in your own words. If you hadn't given yourself that respect and that permission to walk away from corporate life and walk away from some relationships and to walk away from being that sour puss, like don't mess with me in college guy. Do you think you could be where you're at today or headed in the direction you're headed today? Uh, no, no, um, absolutely not. I think, I mean, you know, you can't, obviously we can't rewind time mm -hmm. and experiment with it. Right. Um, but Rick, I think, I just feel like the military helped me discover some things about myself that I, I wouldn't have found out in other places. Um, I just, yeah, the, the, the 
what here here is something that's very interesting that I that I at least I think is interesting anyway. Um, when I left the service, ironically, I would say I came out a much calmer, much more at peace human being than I, when I went into the service. And I think what people often assume, um, and I, maybe in some ways rightfully so, is that you know I'm going to have all this PTSD and all this trauma from war and so on and so forth. But I think the irony was I had been carrying so much PTSD from childhood and growing up, and I'd just been carrying this ball of anger inside of myself, and the military gave me a safe space to let it out and to let those aspects of my personality out and to really get in touch with some parts of myself that 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 hadn't it been for the being pushed you know to my limits physically and mentally i just don't think i would have discovered and and i i mean what other environment is going to provide that kind of crucible if you will um to to sort of really dig down in yourself and i just came out just a, a man much more at peace with himself, uh, much more confident in himself. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I have trouble seeing myself being here had I stayed an engineer. Mm -hmm. But you just said two things that really brings us full circle to the whole conversation of whether you want to call it coming out to be your green beret or coming out to walk away from your situation or your obesity or walking out of the corporate life. It's about just being in that space with yourself and realizing this was in my best interest. Yeah. This and it and it's very difficult. It's very difficult at times to embrace that we got to go through some of this to get to where we're meant to be. Right. If somebody had told me years ago that I was going to have to come out of the closet at 19 and then go back in the closet and go through everything I went through and have the marriage and all this only to do it at 36. I would have said, that's not going to help me any. <laughs> Let's yeah. just get it done now. Let's be done with it. Right. And as hard as it was and as challenging as it's all been off and on throughout the years, I don't know that I would have changed anything because I feel like I've had the opportunity to grow into the best version of myself and continue to see that manifest itself because of the experiences I've had, which I think most of us get that, but sometimes I've, some people don't. And that's why I love having these conversations is to show regardless of whether it's sexuality or picking a degree and then realizing that's not where I was supposed to go or walking away from being obese and getting yourself in shape or realizing you're the first one out of your family to get a college degree. Every one of those things has shaped who you were meant to be. And I think that's something that you you've shown us so well tonight. Rick, I do have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do when were you speaking before you came out? In your 30s? No, I wouldn't. I would have never even seen that on the radar. Never, never. It was just not even part of the. I mean, yeah, okay, yes and no, because I was in some corporate settings where, yes, I'd get up and I'd lead things. And I was always the one getting picked. It's so funny to go from the kid that was always teased and everything in high school and everything to be the guy that's like, have Rick do it. He's a really good leader. He's a good speaker. Da, 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 da. I'm like, why? 
Right, right. But then to see that how interesting that even, I'm so glad you asked that question because that's such an interesting tie into the thing. I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that person, but that's kind of who I am now. It's like, yes, I'm here. Yeah. Let me, let me get up. Let me lead because it's something I had to see in myself and learn about myself mm-hmm. before I could truly appreciate it. After coming out in your thirties mm-hmm. and then starting to speak about it. Um, I guess, you know, when we talk, when, when we talk about, you know, having to go through these things and go through these phases. I mean, the richness, I mean, obvious, it's obvious, right? Like the richness of your message is so much deeper because you've gone through all these chasms, right? You yep. have, it's sort of like you have all this material to review now and yep. there's so much insight and all that stuff. And, and, and having gone through that journey, you know, just makes your, your, your ability to speak with a level of compassion and empathy, but also, while holding people accountable, um, mm-hmm. it's it yeah, it's just so much more powerful. Well, it is, and I, and I don't want anybody to walk away from this conversation like like okay, you have to go through all this to make everything happen. No, no. <laughs> but no, no, there no. is uh, the embracing that whatever we do get handed to us, it's it's handed to us. I believe, just my own personal belief, it's handed to us to make us a better person. Yeah, it's handed to us to make us better in the world. It's handed to me to help me see, and this is something I struggle with at times to help me see the other side of the the coin or the other perspective. Right. Because for so many years, and I and I went off on this on another rant the other day on a on a social media rant where I'm like, for a community who so badly wants to be accepted and wants everybody else to embrace us, we as an LGBTQ community at times are the worst at accepting other people. Mm. It's time for us to eat our own dog food. Mm-hmm. And I always get hate mail when I say that. And I don't really care at this point yeah. because yeah. I believe it's so true. What we ask from everyone else, we need to be willing to give pretty much to everyone else. Yeah. And I think based on this conversation we've had here, it's a beautiful reflection of if we ask this of ourselves Number one, give it to ourselves. Don't hide it from ourselves. Go be what you say you want to be. Now, it's really hard to do that when everybody else is telling you, what are you doing? You got it so good. You know, it's like those interesting spaces. But even as we ask this of ourselves, be willing to ask it of others, but only be willing to ask it of others as much as we're willing to ask it of ourselves. Yeah. You know, I, I went through a hard time and maybe this is a good place to kind of like, really bring this full circle and i because i can tell it was part of your hard time too where there were moments i just wanted to like become the total like asshole and like back off you know and that exterior had to show up but that didn't really get me where i needed to be it protected me to a degree you know, those moments you talked about of like, okay, you had to be that like, hey, I can't just, you know, kick it with the guys and all this sort of stuff. We were thrown into a space of protectionism with ourselves. Chubby kids, gay kids, I don't care what it is. We protect ourselves. Yeah. But until we take that armor off and reveal ourselves, I don't believe is, is until we really get to know ourselves. Yeah. And in those moments, as hard as it may be to do that, 
it's also the beauty of coming face to face with ourselves and learning to embrace us and to be who we are and to just somehow, and anybody who's listening to this right now, somehow trust that when that is what happens, you're on your way to the next thing that you're supposed to be learning. Yeah. Because that's, what's going to make you so much better in the world. So before we wrap it up here, Travis, I have one other quick question here for you. Do you feel that anything that's happened didn't happen for a reason? I believe that you have to make meaning out of what happens to you, whatever that is. And I think every human being has the capacity to do that. I wouldn't say that I, I wouldn't say that I believe in God, but I don't not believe in God either. Um, I think, I think it's, it's, I think you have to make, you have to make things make sense, so to speak. Um, in particular, in particular, when you've been through lots of painful things in life, you, you, you have to take those painful things and do the work to make them positive forces in how you show up in the world. I agree a hundred percent. I love that you said you have to bring meaning to it because you can call it, it happens for a reason, or, you know, these things are given to you to build your strength or anything. I love that you're, you're leaning more into the meaning, like really embracing that meaning, because that to me is where the magic starts to happen. When you can see the meaning or at least go seek the meaning behind it without going, screw this, this, why, why is this happening? I'm not going to learn anything from this. Right. There's just, there's beautiful meaning in everything that happens. And that's yeah. the thing to me that as hard as it is to swallow that pill at times, whether yeah. it's because you, you're teased as a fat, obese kid, or you've been abused, or you suddenly have everybody looking at you cross-eyed, like you're going to walk away from this really great job, or you get told you're going to you know learn to swim in the army. And then suddenly that isn't what happened. When we can make the meaning from it, that's just pure bliss. Yeah. Every, everything becomes powerful then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything becomes an opportunity for you to grow at that point. Exactly. Buddy, I so appreciate you being here and sharing your version of what it means to live your life uncloseted. It's just another beautiful metaphor and parallel to everything that we do and how we show up in the world when we realize we're actually not so different. You may not be a gay man, but your trials and your journey have been your own version of coming out of the closet to live your life unapologetically. And so totally appreciate you taking time out of your day and, and being here and sharing yourself, my friend. Rick, thank you very much for having me, man. And uh, I appreciate, appreciate what you're doing, man. And keep rocking. Hey, 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 Life Uncloseted family. Another episode of Life Uncloseted has come to an end and it is time for all of us to sashay away and go face our fears, make those bold moves and stand up to living our life without apology. But before you do, I've got a favor to ask of you. Would you hop over to iTunes or Spotify or Podbean or wherever it is that you're listening to this and just give us a little bit of love if you like what we're doing here at Life Uncloseted. Here's what it does. It helps other people find the show. It helps other people get to know what we're all about. And you just might help change a life. In fact, if you really want to change a life, we'd love it if you just ask a friend to take a listen and see what they think. So that's it. Love you all deeply. I'm Rick Clemens, the host of Life Uncloseted. And never stop stepping out, stepping up, and stepping in to living your life uncloseted.